Hey everybody, welcome to the Extra Podcast, episode number 288. This is Paul Siemens, one of the pastors here at Northview. I have three other pastors around the table with me, one being Jeff Bucknam. Hi. Greg Harris. Hello. And Andy. Present. Steiger. Thank you. So guys, how's your week? How's your weekend? Was it good? I didn't watch the football. Did you guys watch the football games? The I did, a little conference, bit. I did. Divisional. They seemed like they were really boring. Blowouts, both of them. It's fun. Anybody tired of the Patriots? Uh, yeah. Everybody's tired of the Patriots. Mm. Nope. Yeah. Are you a Patriots, Patriots. fan? I've said that many times. Oh, more, more, I'm a Tom Brady fan, oh my and he gosh. just so happens to be on the Patriots. What? I have a t-shirt that says Tom Brady. So I was in Boston this last year. That's that's not true. <laughs> I was in Boston this last year. Uh, my son, I, we went with uh, Darcy Coon's son, who won these tickets to Fenway Park and to throw out the first pitch. And so my son and I went with Darcy and his son. And we were there and uh, outside of while well, we were waiting to get into the ballpark at Fenway, there was a dude who kept yelling over and over again. Uh, he was trying to sell um, like a program for the day. But in order to get people to buy the program, he was giving away a free bumper stickers. And he kept yelling, free Brady, free Brady bumper stickers. Because this was down back, this oh, is yeah. last right, of course. spring when he was, the question was, suspended well, is he going to be, yeah, suspended or not? Or What do they call it, deflate gate or whatever? Yeah, yeah. They, they are pretty, uh, they're a pretty aggressive fan base. Let me just say that. They, they love that Tom Brady. Dude. They love him. Five Super Bowl rings, baby, it's coming. Yeah, five Super Bowl. We're, we're going five. to the Super Bowl. It's good four. <laughs> He's got four, but he's going for five. Oh, he's going for five. Going okay. for five. I'm right. so uh, excited to cheer against them again. Do you know my problem is <laughs> that I find the NFL largely boring without the Seahawks involved. I can respect that. I, I don't know why. I actually, this weekend was, I don't know. You got to admit, just, there's something about rooting for an underdog yeah. and somebody who's never won the Super Bowl. Go Atlanta. Mm. The weekend, the previous weekend's games are far more entertaining, particularly oh, yeah. the Green Bay-Dallas game. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So my kids are sick. Anybody else's kids are sick? My kids have been sick. Yes. The yeah. flu is I going around something at home terrible. Right now. Yeah, I got one at home. Un- unspeakable things taking place in his body that we won't mention. Mm. But uh, That's why they're unspeakable. That's why they're unspeakable. That's one of the joys of parenting. Your kids go out into the world and they get these horrible diseases and they bring them home to you. And then they incubate them into yeah, schools even are, worse diseases. You know, the, the school the is basically are, an incubator for disease. Yep. Yeah. And then they give them to Bacteria you. Bacteria breeding grounds. They do. Mm. I, I, I'm wondering if we should just hose them down out the front of the door. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think? With some of the antibacterial. No touching anyone Apparently there's a good kind of antibacterial hand <laughs> stuff that's made with alcohol. And the non-good kind that's made with something else that gets into the rivers. Yeah, no, I'm right about this, and I can't remember the exact name. So when you buy your antibacterial like hand stuff, if it's made with alcohol, it apparently does does its work relatively well. The best thing to do is wash your hands with soap and water, but second best is to use this antibacterial hand stuff because it will kill it will kill the 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 bacteria and some viruses apparently. So let me tell you one thing that he's been experiencing. Have you ever had this with your kids? Uh, the the flu is giving him really vivid uh, dreams, so mm-hmm. he'll he'll wake up, and so he woke up uh, last night and he thought how half of the house was uh, underwater, 
And, uh, and it, you know, you really can never talk him out of it. You can only just eventually talk him into getting back into bed. But have you ever had that where your kids are yeah. just completely delusional? Night terrors, man. Yeah. Yeah, my kids have had those. I mean, it's funny because you can have a conversation with them while they're, ta- while they're there, but they, yeah. they don't. Oh, Nancy and I were killing ourselves laughing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, part of, that's also part of the joys of parenting. I was going to say, yeah. I'm just used yeah, to the talking. The sleepwalking. We get sleepwalking kids. It's pretty fun. I'm just used to talking to Andy when he's mostly delusional. I'm sorry, did you say something? You can't, you can't get him out of it. Like, yeah. oh, Tom Brady's the best. <laughs> um, I had a friend named Adam when I was, when I was young. He was in my uh, youth group. And uh, we go to his house. His girl, his, his girl, his sister's name was Lisa. And all the guys thought Lisa was just the greatest. Mm. So you, whenever you... Adam would say, you want to come over for dinner? You'd be like, yes. yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> of course, of course I will. Is like your whole family going to be home? <laughs> yeah. Like everyone in your so, house will be there for dinner? So Adam would invite you over and every once in a while he'd be like, yeah, you stay over, stay over the night and hang out, you know? And so his, sometimes you'd be sitting there. Of course you'd say yes to that. Cause yeah. you get to watch, watch movies with his sister. Um, and she'd sit there near you and you'd be like, hey, so how's it going? Anyway, she, he, he would fall asleep really easily. I think he might've had some sort of like narcolepsy or something. I don't know. You know, what is that when you, you no, what's the, what is it when you call when you can't get your breath in the middle of the night? Oh, sleep apnea. Sleep yeah. apnea. He must've had something like that because he would fall asleep pretty easy in most places. So will you be watching the movie and Adam would fall asleep and he, you'd be sitting next to him or he'd be sitting on the ground and all of a sudden this dude would jump up. <laughs> like in the middle of a movie and just start freaking out and he'd strip down to his underwear and he'd run. I'm not kidding. He would run around the house and he would go to the front door and start banging on it. And it honestly, these are the days before cell phone video. I wish we had it because it, we, those of us who were there would just laugh and laugh and laugh. You could not wake him up. His sister knew how to, knew how to get him to settle down. You had to go up behind him and say, Adam, it's going to be okay. <laughs> but this, can you imagine? He's this really like pasty white kid who used to strip down to his skivvies and just start running like crazy, screaming. That's classic. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Classic. Good. But my kids don't do quite that. But they do have those terrors. And like you said, they yeah. sleepwalk. It's yeah, sleepwalk and then they talk nonsense. And yeah, yeah, it's good. I'm used to that with Andy. Yeah. Just walking around talking nonsense. Oh, Tom wow. Brady's the best. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Greg. Did you say something? <laughs> anyway. Good. Yeah. So we're we're uh, what three weeks into our bling bling series. I think we're and uh, three weeks in, and yes. we got two weeks left. Um, mm-hmm. And we've had a couple of questions come in about that. Um, before that, though, how about we the the next series coming up to give people a little primer on that? Mm-hmm. It's going to be called Modern Family. We're going to be looking at all sorts of different types of relationships, singleness, marriage, parenting, divorce. Mm. Greg, you got any, any words of wisdom here? Right now? <laughs> that you should come to church on yeah, the weekends. exactly. Well, we haven't done a series like this that I can remember where we've intentionally talked about different relational dynamics and what mm-hmm. the Bible has to say yeah. about them. So I think it'll be, I mean, for those who found the Bling Bling series either controversial or not, you might find the next series equally so. No? No, yeah. No, I'm saying great. Like we're a little bit back to back. I look forward to keeping those emails around. Yeah. (laughs) That'll be great. (laughs) (laughs) But it is. Actually, you're right. I mean, we're talking about things like marriage and uh, one of them is going to be on romance. Looking forward to that one. Mm. 
Well, all of these things. Singleness. Like money. Like uh, this. Divorce. Like, we're actually doing a couple on divorce, yeah. I think. But we're talking about money right now, which is something we deal with every day. Mm. And we get bombarded with the cultural uh, cultural ideas of how money should be used and what you should do with it. It's all for your own gain and pleasure and all, mm. all these kinds of things. And then you also have the false teachers, which we talked about this week. And and from the false teaching on the Christian side of things and, and how you can use or you should be rich because God wants you to be rich and things like this. And... And then as we go into the family stuff, we're also going to be looking at obviously things and looking at how the culture talks about mm. all these things. So these are all mm. things in terms of uh, money, marriage, parenting, all things that the culture gives us, feeds us certain things. Mm. And we need to look at actually what, what does God's word say on these things? Hopefully there's lots of fodder for good community group discussions of, of yes. talking these things through mm-hmm. and bringing up your own distinct scenarios and asking other Christians around you for wisdom and, and help and making good decisions about all these things, money and relationships. So, yeah. 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 So we did have a couple of questions come in, uh, about this last, well, the last couple of weeks sermons. Um, one, the listener wrote in and he asked, uh, what does it look like for a Christian once they are in heaven to have built up their treasure in heaven? So uh, further with his question, it says, are there levels of Christianity or that a Christian can carry over into heaven? If we are building up our treasure in heaven, what does it look like once we are in heaven? So are there, is there like certain rewards that Christians get? Are there other things that we can look forward to? Like, you know, you might look at it in terms of housing, like somebody will be in a mansion, but somebody will be in a, a shack, but hey, man, at least they're in heaven. Yeah. So what's the... I've used the image before sure. uh, when talking about this of uh, different neighborhoods in heaven. I'm not affirming this, by the way. I'm just saying that mm-hmm. the way it's often taught is that there's a, you know, there's the really nice part of heaven mm-hmm. for those who've been missionaries and uh, for people like me who are faithful, <laughs> right? But, but no, seriously, <laughs> yeah. like we are on the, we, we've, we've given up opportunity to do other things. And so as a result... We spiritual folk are the ones who are going to be in the, in the in the high rent district, you know, the Yale town of heaven. And some of the rest of you will be in the Lower East Side of heaven. Like Greg. Which will be a bummer for you because you didn't do enough stuff you made it, in order. No, and I, I'm, I'm making fun of that a little bit because I, the, the rewards doctrine is built upon an assumption um, that... The way, the way you come to faith, the way you get to heaven is you come to faith in Jesus and you make some profession. And then the rest of your life as a Christian is either earning or not earning some level of reward, mm. right? So you are either, you know, getting extra plaudits uh, or entrance into the finer areas or more crowns, as, as some people have said it, or something like that. Or not. So the way that this applies to money for some people is, well, yeah. <clears throat> so there are some Christians. So I can be a Christian who believes in the Lord Jesus. And then uh, and then if I, uh, that gets me the entrance in through, through the pearly gates. But, but then I don't need to give any money away. I can do nothing at all with my money. And that just gets me kind of the slum of heaven. Hmm. And, or if I decide that I'm really going to be committed I can get into the finer areas of heaven. My, the, my point here is that 
is that the the viewpoint is that what what is being talked about in the scriptures when it talks about money and treasures and stuff is an extra benefit on top of one's salvation. So the question that you have to ask is, is that the case? In the passages that it talks about treasure in heaven, is that what's being referred to, this extra treasure entrance into the finer areas? So Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also see Jeff, it's plurals, both treasures now possessions now so that, but don't, don't store them up here because they can get damaged and they're going to fade away. They're fleeting, Mm -hmm. but instead you need to be storing up for yourself. These treasures, plural, same kinds of things in heaven where it's not going to be destroyed, where it's not going to be fleeting. It's going to be there forever. So how is this, how does that the, the clearest and the most straightforward reading of that not endorse some sort of viewpoint of because it's got a context of of a cube of of having more treasures in, in heaven yeah. plural yeah what I'm saying is that it is that passage has a has a context it's I mean it's twin is the parable of the rich fool which is what you get at the end of the parable of the rich fool verses thirty two don't be afraid little flock Luke twelve thirty two for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail, where, thief, uh, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The point, the point that's being made here in this passage in Luke 12, for example, is that the rich, the rich fool is not being commended by God, mm. right? You, you fool. Today, your life is required of you. What this man does with his money, if there's one thing that the Bible is saying over and over again about money, is that what you do with it is saying something significant about your eternal destiny, not about how much extra you're going to have in heaven. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot, you'll either love the one or hate the other, says Jesus. There, there are lots of places. Uh, Paul, the, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil or a root of all kinds of evil. Mm-hmm. Some, because they've loved money or because they've wanted to get rich, have wandered from the faith, right, and pierced themselves with many pains. But the point, the point here is that money, the, the way you deal with your, your finance doesn't just dictate, again, your level in heaven, it dictates whether or not you're, you're there or not. It, it's a window uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a window into the actual... There's only two, there's, my point is there's only one kind of Christian. There's not like five different kinds and that you elevate between them. There's one kind of Christian, and that's the one who remains faithful and repentant to Jesus, right? Those people are also carnal at times, and um, it's a word that's used in mm-hmm. in old older churches, uh, mm-hmm. fleshly, uh, worldly. We're all a mixture of these things, and we trust we don't get money right all the time. And we thank God that He knows the stuff of which we're made, and He understands. I think what it's like for us to live in a society that is just obsessed with finance and with getting money and these sorts of things. So God has a special grace, I'm sure, uh, on people who are inundated with this sort of thing. And yet, you, the way you love your brother, the way you treat the poor and oppressed, the way you use your money <laughs> has everything to say about whether or not your faith is real. Okay? It should, it should your belief in the gospel should impact your finance. It shows who you serve. And it doesn't get you 
that. Do you understand? I'm not, it, I'm not saying it earns you something like God's going to say, uh, how much did you do? Like it, it, it is, it demonstrates what's already been done one way or another. Okay. Mm-hmm. It shows the truth of the root. It's a fruit of the tree that demonstrates the root. It's the, not a root. It's the fruit. Right. One of the concerns that I have, especially when I speak with different Christians is their misunderstanding of what treasure in heaven is, uh, in particular, it amazes me how many people you know, it can get confused on how Christianity is different from other religions in this respect, in that Christianity is about getting God. It's, it's about inheriting the kingdom. It's about living in relationship uh, with, with God. That this is, this is what we're seeking and desiring in, in heaven and this idea of where your focus is. Who is it that you're serving and why is it that you sacrifice in this life? You know, it concerns me when I think of some Christians wanting to sacrifice in this life. This is a very Islamic way of thinking. I'm going to deny myself alcohol in this life because when I get to heaven, that's when I'm really going to party up and hit the alcohol hard there. That, that is a completely foreign idea to Christianity. The, the foregoing of something here in order to enjoy it there. Yeah. Because in many ways, I think that's what we're, the people are saying. I'm going to forego a mansion here because I get a mansion there. Okay. And it makes me go, well, where's something... your focus still? Your focus is still on the mansion. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, the, 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 God, God is the goal. There's, yeah. no, there's no question Period. that. Yeah, and he is the treasure, right? His mm. kingdom is. How, however, there is a sense in which there are passages that point kind of that direction. That, you, that, that listen, you, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize that, look, uh, you can invest here, okay? Store it yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Okay. So, so what that means is that your treasure here is fleeting and tenuous. Okay. It's going to go bad. You're going to be worried about it because thieves might come and take it. You're never really sure about it or so, and it's, and it's only for a short period of time. So you can, to to use the language of the rich fool, you can be rich toward yourself by storing up treasures here on earth or you can store up treasures in heaven. What does that look like? Um, sell your possessions, give to the poor is, is the language that's used in that passage, right? So the, the story of the rich fool, he should have taken what it is that he needed to fill his barns and he should have left the rest for the poor. He should have used his excess to care for those in his midst who had need. See, this is where I think... But, the, but, he's, but he's doing so, listen, he's doing so for eternal reward and the reward is God and God's kingdom, where there is fullness of joy, right? Mm-hmm. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus says. So I, I hear what you're saying, Andy, totally. Like if you, want, if you just want the stuff and you don't care whether God's there, I'm going to say, yeah, you, you're probably not a Christian because you just want the stuff. You're an idolater. But there is a sense in which the scriptures do say, yeah, but along with God comes all, you know, pleasures forevermore. And I also want to say it's a new heaven, new earth, right? And so there are houses and there are, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with a house or, or bread or, I mean, depend, I mean, even though the carb diets freak out, I'm looking forward to going to heaven and eating stinking bread, right? Good bread. And, and, and physical stuff is good stuff. It is. And the stuff that money buys, good. Bikes, cars, these things are going to be are great. Phones, the, these are good things. And they will, they will be good things. But they're not the real joy. The joy is in God, who then will also, we, we will enjoy all of those things 
along with him. Mm. I, I think about the Apostle Paul's words in the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he says we have three things, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. 13, yeah. What did I say? Three. It's okay. First Sorry, 13. 13 uh-huh. My bad. 13. Uh, that when we, when we, uh, when I think about that, you know, what I think Paul's getting at is that when we die, our faith is, you know, we don't need our faith and our hope is fulfilled. And mm-hmm. the only thing that we need, the only thing that we have left is the love in which we've lived this life. And I think he's pointing to this idea that our relationships, you know, transcend this life, our relationship with God. Uh, and the way that we care for one another right. and the importance of, of loving people. And this is where I think... It's what it means to be rich toward God. Yeah, exactly. And that what happens then is I think absolutely the mansion doesn't matter in that a mansion here, a mansion there. Without God, both of them would be foolish and meaningless and purposeless. Mm. But when you put God into the picture, whatever it is that you have becomes meaningful and fulfilling and wonderful. Uh, that ultimately that relationship with God is has got to be center right. to everything, everything in this life and the life to come. And it concerns me with Christians when they get their focus off of God and they think that the treasure is something else. Right. But most of the reason that we do that is because we have, we have been taught to believe that the accumulation of material goods for our comfort is the greatest goal, right? This is what the language I was using was affluent. We, we are, we have are infected with affluenza, Mm. Um, and that, that's what it is. It's the belief that by, by having more stuff, more and better stuff, you, you can solve your problems. And so even we carry that through in, even to the thoughts of the afterlife. Well, in the afterlife, I'll have a huge house. In the afterlife, I'll have all these things. Well, no, in the afterlife, you'll have God. And whatever else you have will not really matter that much. Okay? You'll be content with God because he is everything. And will there be physical stuff there? Yes. Will you be just sitting on a cloud with your harp looking at God all the time? No. There will be physical stuff, houses, cars, all sorts of things, because God made a physical world and physical people to make physical stuff where he is, he is glorified by their, mm-hmm. by their creative cultural you know, power. All of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. But what makes heaven great is that God is there. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yes, I agree with you. I do think that in the West, we recoil. One of the, I mean, if you don't mind me jumping into <laughs> another ahead. subject. Like, I don't really understand why it is that people get really upset about this. Because I've, I've noticed every time I teach about money and possessions, there are people who leave our church. There'll be people who get angry. I was told this weekend there are people who walked out on our services and things like that. And I, I, I've gone over what I've said this weekend and thinking, did I say anything that was really that controversial about the Bible? Um, and I suppose at the front end of my sermon, I talked about false teaching about money. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll just be honest with you. We don't talk enough about false teaching right. about money. It is rampant. And I, I honestly want to know where the churches are that are actually standing up and teaching their people sound things about money and possessions. Mm. Because it because their minds, Christian minds, are being filled with thoughts that are formed by these false teachers about this and our silence on what the Bible actually says about it mm-hmm. is making us compl- complicit and allowing these guys free reign mm. so that when I stand up and I say, actually, Kenneth Copeland is not right when right. he says that your words have creative power to, to build whatever, whatever it is you think, or that you need to sow a seed and God will return to you some sort of material favor because I found this verse in the Bible that I ripped out of context 
and have misinterpreted because it's, you know, a promise to theocratic Israel or something. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, I'm so tired of it. I'm tired of people getting upset about about it, too, about somebody who's standing up and actually telling them what the Bible says, because they don't ever want to engage with what the scriptures teach. Mm. Like, Paul's not hard to understand in First Timothy chapter six, Mm. is he? No. Greg, you preached on it. Yeah. I mean, Paul, you, you, you studied, Andy, you am sure you studied and ta- taught it before. It's not like it's, it's very low hanging fruit. Yes. So there he says it, but for some reason you get mad mm. and you walk out like, why are you mad? Mm. Do you not want to know what God actually has to say about it? Or are you just more care what Kenneth Copeland says? The part that gets me that I don't understand, you know, help me to understand this. But why is it that the disciples did not receive any of these health and wealth that is preached they they all got tribulation and death in the yeah. end that is something that has always baffled me that the early church suffered for Christ and to think that we wouldn't do likewise or that you know how, how did they miss out on yeah. on that great teaching yeah well they did <laughs> so does most of the world but you know I mean part of the issue with with this I think is the teachers yes but they're obviously very popular because when you look at the tv schedule of daystar which is a competitor to tbn right yep. which is which we can get up here yep. uh, on like, there's like four or five channels like yeah, this or daystar joy tv yeah daystar is one of the big ones right they i mean you look marcus and like joni lamb joseph prince rod parsley hmm. uh, he's the guy TD i talked jakes. about this week right yep td jakes um else we got Believer's Benny Hinn, uh, Joyce Meyer. Yep. Yeah. Short, short story about I Benny Hinn that Ezra mad. told me, and if you were in the Mission Campus this weekend, you would have heard that heard this. He was telling me after church on Sunday, he came down to the Abbott's campus and we were just chatting for a little bit about about the sermons and about how some people are get, get upset about these things. Mm-hmm. Ezra began his sermon this week, I think, and he told a story about, true story, Uganda. Uh, it they uh, the the new president or vice president or whoever it was of Uganda thought that this one of the solutions to the country's problems was to the was the promulgation the, the furthering of, of Christianity. So if you can get more Christians in the community, they'll end up they'll end up acting better. Which, by the way, is like the foundation, honestly, of the American Republic. If you, that's what the founding fathers of the United States believed, that they didn't believe you needed to actually believe in Jesus. They just wanted the moral stuff, right? So Thomas Jefferson cuts his Bible up, but he still wants to remain <clears throat> morally committed to Jesus so because you can make a good citizen that way. Well, in Uganda, this is what this lady thought. Great, let's, let's do this. So she contacted Benny Hinn because she didn't know any different. Like, who am I going to get to come here? And so sure. more people are Christian. And so she contacted Benny Hinn and said, you come. Well, Benny Hinn said, well, I'll come. But first of all, I, I need a, I need, I need a, a I'm going to charge a fee of a million dollars. So he charged a million dollars and he said, I need half of the hotel, the upper level of the, one of the finest hotels in, in Uganda. Uh, for all of my entourage and all the people who were going to come along. So he flew there. He's got his own jet and all this sort of stuff. He flew there. He, he got there. He stayed in this hotel. He went and he did his his stuff. He he did some healing time, whatever. They ended up getting to the point where they needed to pass around. They wanted to pass around a bucket. Now, the money, of course, was going to go, he said, to, to offset our ministry costs, as if the million dollars wasn't going to do that. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's going to offset our ministry costs. So he shows up and he does this, his thing. He, they pass the bucket and he says to these people, uh, Ugandan people, by the way, right? Like poor Ugandan people. He says to all of them out loud, he cuts in the middle of the song, everything. 
this isn't enough. Shame on you. You, you need to give more money than this. This barely covers our costs. You, you, you need to give. You are not giving. You're disobeying the Lord and giving. Don't you want the promises of God? This is how you treat your God? Pass it again. Pass it around again. Again, not enough. Pass it around again. Ezra said that, look, people were like taking their shirts off by the end, putting their stuff in, 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 the, in it. Afterwards, they got a whole bucket of money. Now, you would think that in Africa, given all the, the difficulties that they have in that particular region in Uganda, the, yeah, you would think that they would take that money and divide it up between the churches in that area and say, here, redistribute this money to help the poor and needy and proclaim the gospel in this place. What do you think they did with it? Oh, come on. They put it in their, in their, in their uh, plane and they took it home. So like, here's my thing. That's, that's, that's not mad. unverified. That's true. That happened. Yeah. Okay. I've been to Hillsong conference where very similar things have happened. Mm-hmm. I, I've been there. I've sat there. I've listened and read. And I, I, I spend a lot of time listening to a lot of these people preach. Mm-hmm. What frustrates me is that, first of all, so many Christians lack the ability and discernment to know that these people aren't teaching you the Bible right. It's almost like they don't know that they think the Bible's a magic book that has these mm-hmm. little pithy sayings and that d- there's no context to them and there's no, they don't ask the question, is that really what scripture teaches? So that frustrates me. And I think that's the fault of Christian churches like ours and others that have just kind of, I don't know, not taught them well how to read the Bible. But on top of it, I'm so tired of, of other churches, like I said, not standing up and s- saying stuff. Like, where are all the series of the faithful churches on money? Like, honestly, this is our second one we've done, and it's probably not even enough. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's such an easy groove to get back into spending and, and, and wanting more and, you know, disobeying blatantly what Scripture teaches on so many of these issues. And I just want to know, and if there's anybody who's listening out there as a Christian pastor or who's thinking about ministry, can you commit yourself to recognizing that this is the God of our culture? Mm-hmm. And that if you're going to talk about sexual health and or sexual ethics, which you probably will, because that's the thing you should talk about money as much or more because Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who are being dragged away from Mm -hmm. Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? The, 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 the seed, the plant is being choked out by the riches and pleasures of this Mm -hmm. life. And they, they might get mad at you now for warning them, but I'm telling you, I am telling you everything that we say as pastors, we say for the, for the sake of a day, mm. right? That there will be a day, we're banking on it, that Jesus, who has said, us, said to us that that day is coming, that he will judge the living and the dead. And there will be a day, and I, you might be mad at me now, but I am trying my darndest to save you mm-hmm. from that day. I, w- I want you to experience fullness of joy in Christ, and he has told us what that looks like. Mm. Or you can think I'm an idiot, walk out, get mad, go and listen to Benny Hinn, go and listen to those other guys who are killing you. Mm-hmm. And they don't care. They just want your money. Amen. That's the part that I, I find incredibly frustrating as well with this, isn't it? You can YouTube this stuff. You can, you can see this. Oh. This isn't like this is hard information to find. It wasn't too long ago, actually, that a friend of Jeff and I's, uh, Brian Hurlbutt, Share, shared a video with me on Copeland with about Copeland. He 
Copeland is talking about how he doesn't, he can't fly on anything other than a private jet. Right. Mm. And, and this is the part, though, that just kills me, right? He said he can't fly on a public jet because he called it a tube of demons. Right. You can right. go on YouTube, by the way, and you can watch watch him and Jesse Duplantis defend their thing. You can get you can get the video their, of it. You can watch jet. it yourself. But uh, here's the thing: What does that say about you and I mm. on the public plane? Well, that you're a demon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it it's just, laughable. It is laughable. But you know, he's not the only one, though. And you have to understand that different people uh, are they're teaching the same thing. But they do it with more savvy. Some of the guys don't have the savvy. He's gotten to the point where he's just really blatant. He with doesn't it. even care anymore. No, but no. this is my thing. Some people, I've, I'm sure people have gotten frustrated by me bringing up Brian Houston as the the pastor of Hillsong. But I'm telling you, like, okay, I I spent seven years of my life uh, living and working and teaching students from Hillsong knockoff churches and listening to Brian Houston, who's a Kiwi, teach. And he wrote a book, and it's like it's in the public domain. You can go and listen to what he has to say. He, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is a promise from God that you should never have any need. Whatever it is that you want, God has to provide it because he's your shepherd. Right? Do you have? So do you have want, Paul? Yes. Well, then the Lord's not your shepherd. <sighs> the, those are my words. Mm-hmm. That's him. Yeah. So... But but everyone's like, oh, but he's a really good guy because, you know, they play really good music and um, he's so positive and I really feel good at the end of it. Oh, my goodness. You know, there's a passage in Second Timothy chapter four that there will come a day where people will gather for themselves teachers who will scratch their itching ears. Mm. Right. I, don't go there. Please don't be mm. a, a, an, an ear scratcher, first of all, or someone who demands someone to mm. tickle you. Mm. Because if there's again, if there's a heaven and there's a hell. And if there is a judgment, as Jesus says there was, mm. then everything is at stake here. Not just extra credit rewards in heaven. Everything is at stake here. Mm. Well, yep. One of the things that was interesting this past weekend, um, I was at the Sunday night service and had a conversation with someone who uh, came out of a church that was very heavy and overt in their uh, teaching stuff similar to Copeland. Um, and she was anxious when she heard that we were doing a series on money because she thought, Oh man, not this church too. And, Mm. and it's been, it's been hard for her to, to, to hear our sermons because she keeps waiting for the, for the, when's the, when's the bucket going to come around to show, to show (laughs) that we believe in that our faith is like, she Uh keeps waiting and it doesn't happen. And she's, it's, she's relieved each weekend and yet she can't, it's hard for her to break out of, of that mindset that she was, she was raised in. And so part, part of the, the reason why we do series like this is there are, are real people in our congregation who their faith and their, their perspectives of God and of what it looks like to be a faithful Christian have been so warped and destroyed mm. by churches that aren't just the Kenneth Copeland's they're, they're around and they're local and they're nearby yep. and they're accessible and so th- we're actually, if you're sitting there in the pew thinking, yeah, but this message not, might not be as directly applicable to me or whatever, you should also realize that, first of all, probably is. But second of all, there, there are real people who are in real uh, rehab mode when it comes to how to view their money and, and what God has to say about it in his word. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's relevant for all of us. Yeah. Africa, the African continent is being pillaged by false yeah. teachers. Yeah. That, that's... 
Uh, it's not I, just. I don't Africa know how else to well. say. You might think that that's hyper hyperbole for me. Well, in a few weeks I, we're it's, gonna. It's not. We're gonna have uh, Welly and Dolly come up and and have a, a little sharing time because they're missionaries of ours in Uganda. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, I mean, this is part of why they do ministry there. That's why they planted a church there. Mm. People might say, "Why does Africa need more churches? Aren't they like all Christian?" Is ninety five percent of them preach the hospi- the prosperity heresy, right. mm-hmm. and it is a heresy, right? You're. T- you, 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 yeah. Teaching for shameful gain what you ought not be taught. Second Peter two. Mm. So it 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 it's it's it is absolutely shameful. Mm. And we I mean I pray I pray that people will be freed from it. I pray that mm-hmm. by the proclamation of the word that people will be uh, delivered from it. Amen. So in in light of this, looking at uh, you know not having not poverty nor riches, right, which is the passage that you started the series with from Proverbs, right? Mm. So in light of that, when we look at this, how are we to know? Like because like you said in the one sermon, uh, I think it was right? like people love the idea of a tithe because it's like oh ten percent I can give it and yeah I'm done. But when we look at the New Testament, it actually talks about much greater than that. Like it talks about living lives of generosity, radical generosity. So I like the so, term radical generosity because yes. I think if we say generosity, people will say, well, I'm generous. Right. Like, you know, I'm generous. Right. Statistically, just so you know, you can finish your question. So while what I was, we had a listener write in about this and just ask us, so how do we know when we, when it's, what is too much? Why aren't, why don't we all just live in the smallest place we can find, dress as cheaply as possible and, you know, eat rice every day? Like what, how do we, okay, so let how me, can we man- again, let manage me, let me, this? let me restate something I said at the very get go yeah. of this series. Stuff, stuff, I thank God that he's given me stuff. Right. Okay. I rejoice in it. The thing that the scriptures are pushing back against, especially Paul, for example, in first Timothy six, He's, he's pushing back against the desire to be rich. That's what he calls the love of money. Okay. Mm-hmm. The desire to be rich. Some people are wealthy because it happened to them. You know that, right? I mean, I yeah. can give you lots of examples of people in the scriptures who had lots of money because of their family, because mm-hmm. of their background, because their business went really well. I mean, there, there's lots of examples of people like that. They usually hosted several of the churches. There are special kinds of dangers that come with money, okay, that those people need to be aware of. And Paul actually addresses those people in 1 Timothy 6, 17, and following, which is we're going to preach on not this next week and the weekend after. As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Isn't that a great phrase? In Mm -hmm. other words, you're, well, you're going to be tempted to think that you got it together because you have the money, but don't. It doesn't last. It could go away as quick as you got it. Ask people in 2008, right, who lost everything they had. But you should hope in God, who richly provides us with everything we have to enjoy. So there's nothing wrong with enjoying those, those things. But it continues. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. It's just him kind of rephrasing Jesus there. So my, my, my point, the point he's making is, look, yeah, you, if you're rich in this world, he, you know what he doesn't say to you? Shame on you. How dare you be rich? How horrible it is. No, there's special responsibilities that you have now mm-hmm. in being rich. One of them is generosity and being willing to share. 
Right. Because God has given you this so that you might share it with others. He actually gets into this when he goes and makes a plea to the Corinthian church, right? To share with the church in Jerusalem during a time of famine. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, look, uh, you've been, you, you're, fill, you're filled now so you might help them in their emptiness. So God's given it to you so that you might be able to share it with others. And you should probably limit the amount of stuff that you actually have because it is so dangerous. Mm. But I, what, do you know what that number is? I, no. Mm. No, I, I absolutely don't. I, don't. I don't know what car you should buy. I don't actually care. What, whether you own a BMW or a Mercedes-Benz or a Toyota Corolla, pure joy, Toyota mm-hmm. Corollas. <laughs> like, but I, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I don't think those are the issues. I think that you can enjoy a leather-seated whatever, but I have all sorts of questions for you. Are, you. are you doing this? Did you buy this car, number one, because you wanted to keep up with the Joneses? Did you buy the car because you weren't satisfied with the thing that you had? Because that's affluenza. Mm-hmm. Um. And ultimately, are, are, are you um, trusting that the Lord is going to take care of you, your needs? He's going to use you. You're, you're not, um, you're not, uh, how do I say that? You're not, you're not planning for the future and investing so much in the future, which you don't know, at the expense of the present moment. Do you understand? And the needs mm-hmm. that you're right. being faced with. There are people around you who have needs. Yeah. In the present moment, you have the finances to meet those needs. You're choosing not to because you say to yourself, well, what if my, you know, what if I need a new car, a new roof, or a new whatever? Right. Right. No. This is the part that, the needs. that concerns me, though, Jeff, is when you hear a passage like this and when you're talking, it's so easy for us to think, oh, I'm glad I'm not the rich guy. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Listen, we the one percent. Yeah, (laughs) the richest that have ever, ever existed on the planet. Right. Yeah, and I'm included in that. You're included Mm -hmm. in that. All all of us are. So the this is this should be the mark of the Christian church. Then is that we are generous and ready to share. I I don't know. You are rich. I I don't know who. I don't know if it is right now. Honestly. So statistically, if you look at any of the statistics, okay, I'll just give you one that I'll probably give this weekend. Um, I have to get the numbers about right here because of some advances recently in the way that, um, the world has actually looked at poverty and tried to rectify some of the challenges with it. It, they, they estimate it would take between 25 and $40 billion in order to rectify it rightly distributed, rightly put in, put in certain programs and these things. They think that, that you could really almost make it so that there is no more grinding poverty in the world, okay? With about 25 to $40 billion, right? If Christians in the United States alone were willing to give 10% of their income, okay, to the local church, and the local church then were to distribute that money in a faithful way to ministries that are addressing these needs around the world, we would be raising, say, we would be raising, so people were giving 10%, we would be raising another $144 billion. Hmm. So, so here, here's the numbers. $144 billion would be at the disposal of Christian churches if people gave 10%, just 10%, right? It would take $25 billion to solve world hunger. So what, what do you got there? I, I, I don't know. You got six times, I don't know. 
good. I am not good at math. I don't know, six times the amount that is necessary. So you don't even need to give 10%. What if you give 5%, we could, we could do this, hmm. which is why it's so frustrating mm-hmm. because in, instead we're busy affluenzaing, you know, right. <laughs> just find the next thing and focusing on, on the next, on the next thing. And you know, I, I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest. I'll come out and say it. I'll probably say mm-hmm. it again this weekend. I, I, you know, my wife and I have tried to remain committed to giving somewhere at this point, cause our costs in our family have gone up right around 15%. I would like it to be 20% mm-hmm. of my income, uh, to the Lord. And I, so we're trying, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, we have plans. I pray about it a lot. Uh, we are stretched in many ways. Yeah. Um, and it fe- I feel it, but that's exactly where I should be. Cause I, I have to pray and I find myself praying repeatedly, Lord, give us this day, yeah. our daily bread. Right. And I don't know how I'm going to retire. I mean, I, I, I have a plan and a pension stuff and I, yes, all of that's great. And, but I don't, I don't know. I'm hoping my, oh, my kids, kids going to college, take care of me. <laughs> but, but again, again, I don't, maybe you have different plans. Maybe you're more entrepreneurial. You have more costs and whatever, but honestly you have a go at being generous. Yeah. But don't you think that that's a, an important aspect to all this as well? Cause I, I find that some people I, I feel can go too extreme on the other end. Oh, we got to sell everything. Don't buy anything. It's like, no, no, no. Like, there needs to be an economy, you know, you, you have to buy stuff. It's not that that's a, a bad thing. And working hard mm-hmm. is a good thing. And there are rewards. I'm trying to teach this to my kids. You will be rewarded in life for working hard. And I want to teach them a, a strong and good work ethic. But at the same time, you want to teach them to be generous. Yeah. And there's this real tension. Okay. You, you should rejoice in buying a well-made product. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's fine. Uh, I would start to wonder if you have to have three of them, hmm. right? Which is what mm-hmm. we tend to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, three really well-made products. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to buy a piece of junk. You know what I mean? I have three of the really good ones. Okay. That's a temptation for, for all of us. Mm. We all have more clothes in our closet than we probably need. Um, and so there, sh- there should be a tension for rich people. That's why my point here is that everybody kind of wants it to be easy. Mm-hmm. There should be a tension for rich people. We're not gu- mm-hmm. I'm not guilty. I don't want to be guilty before God mm-hmm. and constantly feel this pressure of like, oh, am I doing enough or not or whatever. But at the same time, there is a sense in which, oh, yeah, there is a pretty big responsibility mm-hmm. placed upon those who have been given much. Mm-hmm. Right? And well, if you don't want that responsibility, you know what you could do? You could give a lot of it away. You you could you could just say I'm 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 giving a big chunk of it away because I'm I'm scared of it, mm-hmm. and and that's that's something that Paul brings up in the passage we were looking at this weekend the idea that it, it is a dangerous money and possessions are dangerous things they're not benign things they're they're dangerous things they're they're things that can choke out the faith I used the imagery in the in my sermon this weekend about money's like a money's like fire. And you can drive by the house on Blue Ridge that the fire got out of hand in the kitchen and it destroyed mm-hmm. the house. Yep. Are kitchens bad things? No. Are fires in the stove a bad thing? No. You can cook stuff and you can host people and it's awesome. But we we don't view money like the fire that has the potential to be destructive in a catastrophic way. We view mm-hmm. our money as stuff that we have under control. And Paul's saying, actually, you know what? Even if your motivations, you think to yourself, your motivations are good for why you want your money for retirement or for being generous. Mm-hmm. The fact 
that you want money, his words to us is, oh, be careful because you're actually playing with fire. Right. And it yeah. might it might go well. You might be able to make the meal well and host lots of people and never burn your house down. But no one thinks to themselves when they turn on the stove that day, know what I'm going to do? Burn the sucker down. I, everyone thinks, yeah. I know I can control this. Yeah, handle it, with, handle it carefully. I use the image of uh, scissors. Yeah. Right, walking with scissors a while. Mm-hmm. Scissors are great things. It's just that you, 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 you don't, you understand instinctively that they have an ability to cut yeah. right. and to injure. We, Money is that. We see people come through our uh, pastoral care offices uh, talking about various issues in life, things about divorce. Often when you're talking about divorce, uh, one of the big things that come up is money. how he controls the money and won't let me do what I want with it or how she spends the money and I can't believe she's driving us to the poor house, mm. right? Fights over money mm. causing divorce or, or people that come in dealing with, uh, depression issues. Well, oh, Rabbi, tell me to tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> That's I'm, I'm yeah. saying that my point is it, they're, right. they're all the same thing. Yes. They're all driven by the same thing. This guy yes. comes forward. Hey, I got a relational problem that's mm. driven by my desire to have more money. Right. 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 So I come to you. I got a relational problem that's caught that because they're not letting me have more money or I'm not able to control it. And I need to have the money and the money, money and the money, money, money. Exactly. Right. And in the the end, it just is it. It it will pierce you with many griefs. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason Jesus tells us not to be anxious about these things like God. God will take care of you. God will provide for your needs. And for all of us here, we can say that he is doing that. More than enough. Yes. Yeah, like r- richly, richly blessed. Yes. yes. Yeah. So on that note, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, our time's up for today. If you have more questions about this series uh, or questions even about the upcoming series that you want to send in uh, or anything, what's going on in, in life and culture, uh, feel free to email them into extra at northview.org. And we'll be happy to deal with them in the coming weeks. So for the crew here, thanks for listening and have a good week. See you Sunday.